But I wanted to just highlight a few things that's going on in the life of the church. Um, a reminder that next week is uh, the first weekend of February, and so it'll be our fellowship lunch. We're going to have salads and sandwiches that big. Can you imagine? Right? But um, yeah, we like to do potlucks, but sometimes we, we have themes, and it seems to make it easier sometimes. And so next week will be our fellowship lunch for February. And uh, the theme will be very simply salad and sandwich, all right? So we just ask that you would bring a salad and or sandwich for that. You'll see more uh, info this week through the emails. And so make sure you use those connection cards in front of you to stay connected with us so you can receive those weekly emails. So that is our fellowship lunch next week. Uh, also, we have community groups, and uh, I like to highlight these because we have one on Tuesday. We have one on Thursday. There's still room in both. And, you know, um, it's so important for the life of a Christian to get together with other believers and, and to, what we say, do life together, right? To have community. So we do that in a corporate way on Sunday mornings. This is our celebration service and gathering. But uh, there's only so much that you can get to know each other, right, on a Sunday morning. But really in those small community groups, 8, 10, 12 people, where you can really uh, invest in others. And uh, those are the people that are always right there for you and, and people that you can count on because you get to know them. You pray for one another in a, in a more uh, intimate and rich way. And so please consider coming out to one of our groups. If you have an interest uh, in a group and say, I want to come out, but Tuesday and Thursday just don't work for my schedule, let me know. Because, of course, the... Uh, the goal is to always continue to grow those and, and have more so we have more opportunities. So please consider getting involved in one of the community groups. Right now, our groups are going through the previous week's sermon. So sometimes we have a book that we go through on a certain topic that relates to us living the Christian life. Uh, but for the next um, couple of months, we'll be going through the previous week's sermon. So this week, coming up in community groups, We'll be going a little bit deeper into Jonah 3, which is what we're discussing now. And it's a great opportunity to, to figure out how you can apply what it is that God is teaching you through his word. So uh, we learn so much about God being alive and at work through others and their stories and testimonies, don't we? And that's really a big part of what happens in community groups. So uh, please take note of those. We also have, again, every year the couples retreat, and that's coming up in uh, may 18th to 20th and so the cost is 495 a couple uh and so you can start putting aside money for uh for that now and you can give towards that so it's not just sort of all one lump sum towards the end but if you have never been it is a, a just a wonderful time of getting together with your spouse going away for a couple of days down a beautiful cape may there's time that we are together and we have uh, some devotional time uh, uh, geared towards relationships and the marriage relationship. We have time of worship and prayer and some games, but there's plenty of time as well to, to just uh, relax. Uh, it's right there by the water, and so it's an awesome time. And so it's 4.95 per couple. If you have any questions or want to start giving, you can see Bill Person. He's one of our deacons, and just uh, he'll be our contact for that. So please consider that. The couples as uh, you're planning out the next few months in your calendar. All right. And then finally, there's this. So uh, in two weeks, we will be uh, voting on a couple of things because that will be on February 11th, our annual business meeting. All churches have to have 
uh, meetings, right? We do that to get together for lots of reasons. And of course, at the beginning of the year, we vote on the budget for the upcoming year and all that goes along with that. But we will also be voting on this long-awaited presentation of what uh, the name selection team has presented as uh, our selection for you to vote on as the new name of the church. And so without going into all the details, we'll do more of that in the next two weeks right before the vote. We've been talking about this for over a year. We've had those cards out there. Hopefully you all took them to see the detail uh, for the names, and then we brought it down to this one name. And so I believe there's still cards out there. We'll send another email that gives more details about the meaning of the name Watermark Church and how the, the name team came to that name and all that's behind it. And so what happens very simply now is for the last two weeks of this process, you continue to pray and consider it in your time before the Lord. And then on February 11th, we all get together and we vote. We either vote yes or no. Very simple. That's how it will work. But we just want to make sure we keep that in front of you so that you are praying about it and considering it. And there'll be a a few more communications coming out about that. But that meeting is in two weeks. So also make sure you mark that on your calendar. February 11th is our business meeting, which will happen right after service on the 11th. Make sense? So next week is the fellowship lunch. And then the week after that is our business meeting. All right. And so that is... Um, sort of a highlight or a snapshot in the life of the church. And so we will now turn to Jonah chapter 3. In just a moment, it'll be up on the screen for you. But, you know, it's important, especially as we go through, um, you know, books of the Bible and even a, a shorter book like the prophet Jonah, just four chapters, that we kind of continue to, to have a summary or a, a recap before we get into the new part of the story, what's happened so far. So just take a minute or two and watch this video. It's going to be just a quick uh, overview of what it is that we have experienced so far in going through the life of Jonah. So that's where we are so far in the story, right? Look familiar? And that's actually where we pick up today, where uh, we ended last week, where Jonah 
was spit out by the great fish back onto dry land. And then this is where we pick up in today's reading. So um, read along with me um, in your Bibles or up on the screen. Jonah chapter 3, our series is called It's Not About the Fish. And I think we're learning that quite well. But today's message truly is about the relentless grace of God. Here is Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and he published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And that's how chapter 3 ends. A short 10 verses, but such a pivotal part in our story. Now, if you know anything about the story of Jonah and you've read before, then you know the story doesn't certainly end there. And we're going to see that um, when we get to chapter 4. Some different things sort of happen than perhaps the way that you might have scripted it. But for our purposes this morning, there is a lot that is packed into this chapter of Jonah. Because what simply happens is that after Jonah is spit back out onto dry land by the great fish that God appointed to do so, it simply says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And it says he simply arose and he went. This time he listened. And then it tells us a little bit about the city of Nineveh, how far it was. And then there's this very simple statement in the beginning of verse 5. Truly amazing. After Jonah calls out to them the word of God, it says the people of Nineveh believed in God. Could it be that simple? Could it be that easy? 
it says the people of Nineveh. And even it goes on to say, it, word gets back to the king. And he repents. So the idea from Scripture seems to be pretty clear. The whole city, this great city of Nineveh, great in its size and its influence, but certainly not good. We've covered that before, right? How despicable the Assyrians are, Nineveh being their biggest city. They were murderous, right? And uh, they abused women and children, and they, uh, they would torture their enemies and display their bodies outside the city. Their walls, it said, were so thick that three chariots could ride on top of them. This city was certainly amazing in its size, again, in its influence, but filled with the basest of all evils. And so, of course, that's the city that Jonah did not want to go to. But then we saw what happened in chapter 2 and with the storm and, and God saving him, rescuing him through sending the great fish. And remember last week we talked about chapter 2. It was Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving to God for saving him from drowning. And here Jonah gets a second chance. And then finally we'll touch on it just briefly in verse 10. It says that when God saw that the people of Nineveh repented and they turned from their evil way, it says God relented. And he did not bring destruction upon the city interesting that is the way that that part of the story ends so here's a few things i want us to notice first of all god is certainly relentless in his grace towards us what does that mean what does that word relentless even mean it means that god seeks after us you remember we go all the way back to the garden of eden when adam and eve disobeyed just like jonah did they tried to hide, just like Jonah did. But then God, what did God do in the garden? Did he not seek after them? And he sought them, and he said, where are you? Like he didn't know where they were, but of course he did. But it shows us that God sought after them. Did God just let Jonah drown? No. He relentlessly pursued him. Why? Because God had called him on a mission. And God was not done with him yet. Is that not great news for us? Whenever we are disobedient to our Lord, we shouldn't think that God is then done with us. One strike and we're out. Right in the video, it was even silly and it said to God, will he give me a, a second or third or fourth or fifteenth chance, right? Does God not do that in his graciousness towards us what does grace simply mean it simply means god's unmerited favor it means that he has given us something that we do not deserve we didn't earn it we didn't work for it we didn't do anything but god still in his gracious love towards us gives us those things that we never would deserve so god pursues us with his grace he does not give up on jonah he does not give up on us. Remember, Jonah ran as far as he could. We do that as well. We do it in our heart, maybe not physically, but we do it. We say no to what God calls us to do. But yet God has a plan. His plans will not be thwarted. So God wanted his word to go to the people of Nineveh. And so God gives Jonah 
a second chance. I'm going to skip around a little bit just in these 10 verses because I actually want to, to end and kind of park a little bit on, on, uh, on the first few verses. But think about this. I read this verse 5 and it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, what do you take away from that? It's a pretty just straightforward statement, right? It says the word of God went, Jonah got there, and here were the words that he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh Nineveh shall be overthrown. He basically said, you have 40 days to consider your fate. Is that not also a period of grace from our God? A period of 40 days in the scriptures, it's almost like, It's usually used as a period of testing. There's a lot of things that happen in 40 days, right? A lot of things. There's even some new diets out that you you watch and it says it takes 40 days, right? There's 40 days. It's significant. And God just simply says to the people of Nineveh in 40 days, says it through Jonah, in 40 days you will be overthrown. You will be destroyed because of your sinfulness But then it says in verse 5, very simply, with no other words attached to it, the people of Nineveh believed God. Is it truly that simple? You know, if that's the case, and and by all uh, accounts it seems to be true, no evidence, of course, we don't know. Of course, some people may have just said it, you know, um, to just avoid God's uh, judgment. But it says the people believed. That would have been the greatest revival in the history of the world. The whole city, the worst of the worst in that known world. What a great reminder for us that who are we to judge who we share God's good news with? Who are we to judge who who we share God's grace with? If God has forgiven us, shouldn't we show the same forgiveness and mercy and grace towards others? That's what Jesus teaches. And that's what we learn here from Jonah. You know, perhaps the greatest revival in all of history. But here is something that history also teaches us. A great reason, an example of why we should always dig deeper into Scripture. Because you know what happens to this city of Nineveh about 100, 150 years later? It's exactly what Nahum says would happen. Read the book of Nahum if you want to know more about Nineveh. They get overthrown. They get overtaken and destroyed. So here it is in this generation, God brings grace and mercy to Nineveh through Jonah, and it says they believed. But not even a couple of generations later, they evidently forget God's goodness and God's grace. And exactly what God said would happen, that he postpones because of their repentance, it does happen. Because evidently, a couple of generations later, they forget God's goodness. Is that not actually just the whole story of the Old Testament? But isn't also our story? That we are obedient to God and walking with Him, and then there's something, a sin in our lives, or sins that just keeps tripping us up, and we come before God, we fall on our face before Him and ask for His mercy and His grace that He would help us and save us that we would sin no more and then perhaps we're good for a while and we're in tune with the spirit but then something trips us up and we fall again we cry out to god and isn't god merciful 
and gracious towards us. Now, sometimes He will continue to discipline us to get our attention. For who are those people that God disciplines? The ones that He loves. Now, we might not feel that or accept that during that time of discipline. But God will do whatever it takes, I believe, to get our attention. Right? And for all of us, it could be something different. But God is relentless in His grace. More on that in a minute. God loves this city. You know, I think God has a particular heart for cities. I mean, of course, God loves all people, whether you're living out in a farm, in a rural area, or in the cities. But what is it about cities? I mean, didn't He call the Apostle Paul to go from this city to that city? That is where the culture was and where most of the people are. Isn't it not the same where we are now? And that's where you get all the people where their greatest impact can be felt. And so God says, go to Nineveh. And He goes to that city. Let us be reminded of that. As we spend time in cities, whether it's Brick or Lakewood or New York City, right? we recognize that there are people desperate need. I mean, all over. But just the numbers are staggering. You know, a couple of weeks ago when we went and, and a, a bunch of us spent time serving uh, through New York City Relief, you know, we were reminded that the current count is about 70,000 people in the shelter system being helped in New York City alone. But that's not counting all those who decide to remain on the streets. Isn't that amazing? Think about that number. Now, out of the 6, 7, 8 million people that are in New York City, that doesn't sound like a lot, right? But that in and of itself, 70,000 people, that's like a metropolis on its own. Do you know that the uh, the population of the last census, uh, census for BRIC was around 90,000, I think, 90, 100,000? So just think about it in terms of there are about the same amount of homeless people, whether they're getting help or not, in New York City than there are in all of Brick. Can you imagine that? The next time you're driving down Route 70 and you're so frustrated by the traffic and all of that, especially when the nicer weather comes along, you just look at all the people. Man, God certainly has a heart for the cities in this world, for all the people are where there is so much, so much need and so much need for hope so god calls us to the cities around us to go to where the people are to bring them the hope of jesus christ so god wants to use us he calls us on a mission but it always starts with god's word now i want to get back to that in a second the first three verses look at verse 10 If you're looking in your Bibles, you can look at verse 10 again. This is how this passage ends. Something very curious happens. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Now, some people might look at this and say, did God change his mind? Did the people do something to change his mind? I do not believe that God ever changes his mind. There are so many scriptures that teach us otherwise. That God is immutable, which means unchangeable. Right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are many scriptures that very clearly tell us that God is the same. He does not change. So what happened here? Well, let's look at it a little closer. I believe that in particular this passage right, is telling us that 
God gave a conditional, a conditional warning to the people of Nineveh to say, yet in 40 days, right? In 40 days you will be overthrown. What's inherent in that? In 40 days, unless, what? Unless you turn of your evil ways. Because God is gracious and merciful. And so they did that. They responded. And so God acted according to his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. And he said, okay. And he relented. There was a condition there. You see, it was their repentance that brought about God's withholding judgment. God does not change his mind. Think of it this way, that God is holy no matter what, right? He's always holy. He cannot go against himself. He cannot not be holy, right? And so whether he brought judgment upon them or whether he showed mercy and gave them grace, he is still the same. He is still a holy God. So God, in his graciousness towards Jonah, gives him a second chance, but also with his relentless grace, gives the people of Nineveh a second chance as well. You know, um, in the Tuesday morning Bible studies for men and women, we just started going through First and Second Peter. If you haven't read that before or know anything about Peter, you recognize that as a disciple, he was known to be sort of um, rebellious, sort of temperamental, kind of hot-headed, very passionate, right? was also the one that denied Christ. But when we read in First and Second Peter, we pick up about 30 years later, and Peter is now 30 years older, 30 years wiser, and has 30 years under his belt of trusting in God. We see a very different Peter. We see one who is more pastoral and teaching the people how to be patient, how to beware of false teachers and And he is really coming at it from a very different perspective. God gave Peter a second chance. God gives Jonah a second chance. He restored them both to their original calling. But it all starts with the power of the Word of the Lord. You know, as I was going through studying Jonah and preparing, especially for this message, It's interesting, God did something really kind of funny. Ever notice how like God can often have a sense of humor, you know? So I'm kind of struggling and and thinking, what kind of illustration can I use to talk about second chances, you know? And what is it that God has done? And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of researching online. I'm looking through some of my old messages. And, you know, there's some, some illustrations out there. A lot of them are kind of corny and kind of overused. And, you know, they might hit the point, but I'm thinking, God, there's got to be something. What is it that you have done in my life, perhaps just something I can share about a second chance. And, and so God, it was one of those times when God kind of just like hits you over the head and you just are like, wow, I believe I forgot it. I have shared many times about my struggle with depression and anxiety started back in 1999. And I won't share all the details again. I've shared it many times, but here is what God reminded me. He gave me a second chance in my calling. God was calling me into ministry, but I didn't see it for many years. I was like Jonah. We are like Jonah. You know, I had people 
that were confirming a calling in my life and trying to push me in that direction, you know, gently and, and kind of giving me good um, advice and encouragement. And, and yet, I wanted to go my own way. Become a Christian, um, you know, in college and as a young adult, um, started leading worship in church and, and became a deacon in the church and a leader. And I would fill in, do some preaching. And, and looking back, I could see God was getting my attention and, 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 and bringing me in that direction. But it took almost 11 years for me to truly understand that. You know what he used in my life? Not a great fish. But something, to be honest, because I went through it, a lot scarier. And something that I think many of us might experience, people that we know. God brought me to a place. You talk about Jonah going down. I mean, he was in the bottom of the ship, and then he was in the bottom of the ocean inside of a great fish. That's the way I felt. If you've ever experienced any level of depression, you know. And when it gets so bad, you feel like you are in that pit. Psalm 40 talks about waiting patiently for God. I got to the point in the deepest, darkest point of my depression that all I could do was recite God's Word over and over until I could just get some some rest, that my mind could get some peace. I would pray, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that I would just be thankful And I would come before God trying not to be anxious, just letting him know how much I appreciated. You know, it was so difficult, but just thanking God just just for every breath that I had. And then it says at the end of that Philippians 4, 6 and end of 7, it says that he will give you a peace to guard your heart and mind. And I clung to that like no other part of Scripture, because what I needed was peace to just wash over my mind, and guard it in Christ Jesus. Because I truly felt like I was in the belly of a great fish. That I was in a pit with no way out. You see that? And I do believe, I didn't notice it at the time, looking back just like Jonah did in chapter 2, looking back on it as I was receiving some relief from that and the cloud was just starting to, to dissipate, that God was saying, My son, just trying to get your attention once again. I have called you to do something for me. I have a mission for you. But there's no way you are going to succeed in any of it. Or follow me if you're doing it in your own way. So God got my attention by using something like depression and anxiety. What is God using in your life to get your attention? Jonah knows full well what that's like. For three days and three nights, he says, being in the belly of a great fish. What is it that God is doing in your life sometimes that makes you feel like you're in that belly of a great fish? But then we recognize that we don't need to stay there. God is so gracious, He relentlessly pursues us If he has a calling and mission on your life, which I guarantee he does, and it looks different for all of us, you may try to run and hide. But God will say, where are you? He will come after you. Sometimes gently, and sometimes we pray for that. And other times, he can bring us down. 
to the point where all we can do is rely upon His Word. I would lay in bed, count my every breath, because I was such in such despair that all I could do to get some peace of mind and some physical rest would be to recite God's Word over and over. And here's why I say that. I'll end with this. Look at how this passage starts. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Did he need to say it again? I believe God absolutely did. Because Jonah needed to hear it. Did you ever just tell your kids something once and then they do it? Is that how it works? No, it does not. Even as adults, people tell us to do something and then we go, what was it that you said? What was it? Right? And so we know what that's like. We need to hear things over and over. I think um, studies have shown that on average, people need to hear something like seven times before they start to grasp it, right? The advertisers, they know all that. See all those commercials and everything. They know we need to keep hearing it and hearing it. But God is the same way. Does He not love us so much that He'll continue relentlessly with His grace to pursue us? And if we don't hear it the first time, there may be discipline because of disobedience. But God is good and gracious. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Praise God that God gave his word to Jonah a second time. And then it simply says, God said, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, what? The message that I tell you. How important is that? He doesn't say just go and kind of figure it out. God will call you on a mission. He will call you to do something, and He will give you all that you need to do it. He'll give you the words to say. If only we choose to be obedient. And you know, we're going to see when we get to chapter 4, it doesn't quite turn out the way we might think for Jonah. Jonah, as we will see, kind of, he does it begrudgingly. Maybe even some of the Ninevites, you know, they repented. But why? It says, even the king says, let's just repent of our evil ways. Who knows? Maybe God will turn His anger from us and so we won't perish. Do we sometimes just say, okay, God, I'll do this, but not with the right heart? Let us recognize that as well. It is a process. It's often a lifelong journey. It's a process that comes in stages for our will to be connected and in line with God's will. It doesn't always happen right away, but you know what can happen right away? Obedience. Somebody somewhere said this phrase, just do it. Did you ever hear that? Of course we have, right? I like to think of that sometimes. It's just about being obedient. Evidently, that's what happened with Jonah. Because we saw it even in the video and we see it here. It says, okay, it came to him a second time. God says, go, and he went, but he didn't like it. But he went anyway. Have you ever recognized the need for that in your life? To be obedient? Won't we open God's Word? The power in our life? The power of God's Word to change our lives? We open it and we see very clearly what we need to do. Perhaps, are we, God, send me a sign. How about we open His Word? Has He not revealed Himself to us already? 
We open God's Word. We know what it is He's calling us to do. To care for the widows and the orphans. To share His good news. To be forgiving to others. All those things. We know what we're supposed to do. Perhaps it's just that first step which is called obedience. Just act out of obedience. Did you ever tell your kids to do something and then they ask that great question, why? And you say, because. Just do it and I'll explain it later. Sometimes you got to do it. All you're looking for is obedience because you know what's best for your kids, usually. And so you know what they need to be, what needs to be done in any given moment. So just do it. I'll explain it to you later. Sometimes we have to do that. God sometimes will do that with us. He tells us what to do. Act out of obedience. And then as we continue to do that, and we read His Word and we grow in trusting Him, then our will will be in tune with His will. See that? It might not happen right away. We might not even have the right attitude of heart or mind, but let us act out of obedience. It is what the Ninevites did. It seems it's what Jonah did. He acted out of obedience. It can be a scary step of faith because we take a step often into the unknown. We don't know what is next. Did Abraham know what was next for him when God called him and he said to go? No, he went. We see it over and over again. This time it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and this time he arose and he went. But it all starts with the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. When God's word enters the situation, when we read it, when we proclaim it, things will happen. Lives will change. Hearts will be transformed. Minds will be more in tune with him. People's lives will be transformed. By the good news of the gospel, because we are sharing it, we are taking that step of faith and obedience to let people know about the love of God in Jesus Christ. But it just takes us to take that step of obedience by following the Word of God. When it starts with the Word of God, amazing things will happen. Even a city like Nineveh will believe in God. So what is it, perhaps, that God is using in your life like a great fish? What is God doing to get your attention? Are you being obedient? Are you spending time in God's Word to know what it is that He's calling you to do? Let us remember from this book of Jonah what it looks like to act out of rebellion and disobedience that there will be times of discipline sometimes it's hard but even during the midst of that discipline god is saying i will give you a second chance will you this time listen to my word so let us always listen to god's word and what he has for us for just like a loving father our heavenly father knows what we need and what is best for us we might not understand why but all he's calling us to do Be obedient and take that step of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how awesome and amazing your word is. God, it is powerful. It is powerful. It is powerful to life. And God, we recognize the truth. 
of your word in our lives. And so, God, we need to continue to remain in that truth. Would you help us to do that? Encourage us, Father God, admonish us when we don't. We know, Lord, sometimes we need, as your children, we need that discipline that we need. We need for you to get our attention. Whatever that might take, God, sometimes it'll take a lot. It'll take something, a physical or mental distress. It'll be something in a relationship or with work, with a job, financial, whatever it might be. God, use whatever it takes. May I boldly pray that for our church. Do whatever it takes to get our attention so that we will cry out to You. And we know, we know that You will be merciful and You will be relentless in the way You pursue us in Your grace. And we thank You for that. God, we thank You that You don't give up on us. And Lord, help us to encourage those around us as well with that same message. And God, for those of us that may be struggling right now in the bottom of that pit, perhaps, God, You are trying to get our attention God, give us just that strength, that wisdom that you say we can ask for to just take that step of obedience and to just see what it is that you will do in and through and for us as we act out of obedience and faith in you. God, we thank you for your promises. May we stand firm on those promises. And God, in the end, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.